Are those stories incredible or what? Can we give it up for the Hume Media team putting those together? Powerful videos. You see, the, the problem with Phineas Rowe, who is, who is depicting the historical character of Pharaoh that we're reading in our Exodus story, the problem with Phineas Rowe is that he continues to blame others. He blames Moses. In other words, he blames Moses. He blames the people of God. He even blames God himself. And Phineas Rowe is incapable of seeing the role that he is playing in the destruction that is unfolding around him. In other words, friends, it is his sin that blinds him from seeing what is actually going on. And when we, when we read the story, maybe in Exodus or watch these videos, we want to relate to Moses. We want to identify with Moses. We want to see ourselves as the Moses in these stories. And surely there's moments where we're faithfully following Jesus and we're like Moses, but we need to be also honest with ourselves and say we're, we're a lot more like Pharaoh. That we have chosen to become the God of our own lives. And what seemed like a good idea in the beginning ends in tragedy. And that's always the case with sin. When I was um, in the ninth grade, when I was in the, or maybe eighth, eighth or ninth grade. Actually, I think I was, yeah, I was an eighth grader. I really love skateboarding. Do we have any people like skateboard? Where are my skaters at? Okay, so I loved skateboarding. I was sponsored for a little while. I, I rode for one of our local skate parks, and I was just skating day and night. That was my whole life. I woke up early, skated before school, after school skated all weekend. That's what I did. Well, on this one particular Saturday, my friend Ryan said, hey, he, he was a few years older than me, and he just got his driver's license. He said, hey, let's go skate at this park that's about 30 minutes away from our house. And so we load up in his truck, and Ryan's in the driver's seat, and Mark's in the passenger seat, and I'm in the very back of the bucket seat of this truck. When we get to the skate park, we have a great day. As we're driving home, we stop at a convenience store, and we, we each get some refreshments. And, and I remember I got a giant Gatorade, and my buddy Ryan, Ryan got a two-liter bottle of Coke, and Mark, who was sitting in the passenger seat, he got a two-liter bottle of Dr. Pepper. So we get back on the freeway, and, and we're driving, and, and Mark finishes about half of his Dr. Pepper, and then he turns to us, and he says, guys, I got an idea. And whenever Mark said, I got an idea, you knew it was a bad idea. Any of you want to raise your hand, you're that person, or you know that person, right, who, who they say, I got an idea, and you're like, it's just not going to be good, right? So Mark says, I got an idea. Why don't I roll down the window and throw this Dr. Pepper bottle out the window and see what happens? And he starts like laughing. I'm like, you are an idiot, dude. No, do not do this. This is going to end horribly. And I begged him. I said, please, Mark, don't do that. Please don't do that. But I wasn't sitting in the driver's seat. I couldn't control him. And so Mark rolled down his window. And I remember just praying, Lord, I pray this two-liter Dr. Pepper bottle would just land on the side of the freeway. Please, Lord, please, Lord. And, and so Mark tightened it up. He rolled down the window and he threw that Dr. Pepper bottle out the window and it goes flying. It felt like slow-mo, just kind of soaring in the air. And then all of a sudden it lands on the hood of a brand new Chevy Silverado, like brand new truck. I mean, th this truck had big rims, looked like it had a jacuzzi in the back. I mean, it was a, it was a dope truck, like it was legit. 
And so all of a sudden, we begin this high-speed pursuit where this Chevy Silverado is following us on the freeway and we're jumping from lane to lane and you guys I'm losing I'm literally I, I can I can envision the news that night like local eighth grader dies in Dr. Pepper crash like that's just what I was picturing and so we're kind of dodging this guy and then I remember at the very last minute we're in the fast lane Mar uh, Ryan, who's driving the car, cuts over four lanes of traffic at the very last second, exits the freeway, and the Silverado keeps going on the freeway, and we've lost him. We get off the freeway, and my heart is pounding. I said, get me home now. This was before we had iPhones or anything, and so I had a contact sheet, like a piece of paper, where I had all my friends' names and numbers, so I couldn't block them, but I was like, guys, I am scratching you off my list. Like, we're done. Like, we're never hanging out again. I'm like, get me home. Well, then Ryan said, but before we go home, let's stop at one more skate spot. And all I wanted to do was get home. But he said, no, we're going to stop at one last spot. And I remember as we were driving to the spot, it was this random school in the middle of nowhere. I mean, there was nothing else around. Trees for miles in either direction. And I remember thinking to myself, this would be the perfect place to murder someone because nobody's going to find us. Like there was just nothing going on. So we pull up to this school, and, and Mark and Ryan get out to skateboard, and I'm just in the truck. I'm like, I just want to get home. I, just wanna, I don't have anything to distract myself, no phones. And so I'm just kind of twiddling my thumbs, just waiting. And then all of a sudden, I look up the street, and coming down the street is that Chevy Silverado, the one that we had thrown the Dr. Pepper on. He comes driving down the street. <laughs> you guys, I must have sounded like an eight-year-old girl. I'm screaming, get it! the truck like I'm screaming I'm like Chevy Silverado's here get in the truck well they come and they jump in the truck and it was like a James Bond movie because Ryan sticks his keys in the ignition and it won't start right it won't start so we're sitting there and the Chevy Silverado's coming closer and I'm like start the car start the car finally he starts it but it's a little bit too late because the Chevy Silverado has cornered us in and he's parked right in front of us and I remember I could hear the music playing from his car and he hadn't got out yet. And then finally he walks out of the car and I'm telling you, whoever the guy is that, you know, like if you picture like the, the, the personal trainer for Vin Diesel, that was this guy. Okay. Like this guy was huge and he gets out of the car and starts walking towards us. And he walks up towards the passenger's uh, side towards where Mark is. Mark rolls down the window and I'll never forget it. Mark looked at him and said, Hi, sir, how can we help you? <laughs> Which I just thought was like an awesome response, right? Like trying to diffuse the tension. He goes, sir, how can we help you? And this man began to use words that I had never heard before, okay? He began to call us names that all I can say is mama never called me those names, okay? Like he began to call us things, string together cuss words that I had never even heard of before. And I almost thought, man, that's kind of poetic of you. I mean, that was pretty incredible the way you put all those words together. And then he said this, then he looked at us, he said, guys, you're lucky my son's in the car because if he wasn't in the car, I would kill you, right? And I thought, thank God he procreated, right? Like, thank you, Lord, that this guy had a child. Well, he eventually left and, and, and we drove home. And I remember thinking what, what seemed to start out as a, a fun prank or what seemed to start out as a funny idea ultimately ended absolutely horribly. And that's the reality of sin. 
Let me define it this way. Sin is any time you and I disobey God. It's any thought, any word, or any action that isn't aligned with God. So anytime we gossip, anytime we lie, anytime we lust, anytime we, we have pride and think we know better, anytime that we dethrone God and say, you know what, I would rather be the God of my life rather than you being the God of my life. Anytime we, in other words, as, as scripture will talk about it, anytime we miss the mark, God's desired intention for us, we are sinning. And what I want to talk about today is I want to talk about three, I really want to answer three questions for us this morning. Question number one is this, how did sin even get here? Question number two, how does sin impact you and I? And number three, how does God respond to our sin? Now let me make a few disclaimers real quick. Disclaimer number one is this, God is not the author of evil. Evil is the byproduct of sin. Disclaimer number two is this. Sin is any thought, word, or action that is disobedient to God. We just talked about that. And disclaimer number three is this. Justice is how God deals with our sin and makes us right with himself. So go ahead and write this question down. How did sin get here? I'm going to give you a short answer, and then we're going to dig a little bit deeper for each one of them. Question number one is this, how did sin get here? The answer is this, Satan and self. Satan and self. How did sin get here? Satan and self. In the very beginning, God created the world. None of you came to being by accident. Nothing that you see just randomly showed up. God is the author of life. And God creates the world, and then he creates Adam and Eve. And he says in the beginning that he created us in his image. This, this means that you and I reflect him. This means that you and I were designed to mirror him, that, that the way we live our lives would be in worship response to who he is. But then there was this really interesting moment in the story of God's creation where he puts a tree in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve are living. He puts this tree in the garden. He says, if you eat from this tree, you will die. And maybe some of you have heard that story before and you've always wondered, why would God put a tree in the garden that would ultimately lead to death and the sin that we still experience today? Why would God do that? Is that mean of God? Is that cruel of God? Well, I don't get it. Why would he do it? It actually reveals something beautiful about God's heart. And I want you to catch this. The reason God put that tree in the garden is because since day one, God has wanted and desired an authentic relationship with every single one of you. That God wants you to choose him in the way that he has chosen you. You're going to hear me say this a lot this week, but scripture is clear from Genesis to Revelation that God loves you and God has chosen you. It's clear in scripture. The question of scripture is, will you choose God? And you see, in order for God to have a real relationship with you, in order for it to be based on love, you and I had to have the choice to say no. In other words, if God didn't put the tree there, then we would be forced to love him. We would have no choice in it. And if you are forced to love somebody, you don't actually love them. 
But God so deeply desired you and I's affection in our hearts that he put this tree there. In other words, he said, I have given you all of this. And if you obey me, if you trust me, if you love me, you can have all of this. But if you don't want to love me, there is a way out. The story goes like this. Now the serpent, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The serpent here is Satan. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. To which they should have responded right here to Satan and said, oh, oh, Satan, you're, you're confused. In order to have God's likeness, I don't need to sin and disobey because I already have it. He made me that way. In fact, how they should have responded is, actually, I will experience even more the fullness of God's likeness over my life when I obey him, when I follow him. It won't be in disobedience. And here's the lie from Satan that he continues to tell you and I, that if we will sin, we will feel more alive. That sinning, choosing to disobey God, will lead to a more enjoyable life, and that is a lie from the pit of hell since the very beginning of time. In fact, students, sin always promises life, but always delivers death. I want you to write that down. Sin always promises life, but always delivers death. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. We need to pause here for a second. At this moment, at this moment, sin has just burst forth in the world. That through the disobedience of Adam and Eve, that sin, which always brings death, began to invade every part of life. In other words, biologically, we experience death. Physiologically, relationally, in our relationships with God and our relationships with others. That every part of us is now broken and tainted by sin. So how did sin get here? In other words, if some of you live in families where you're seeing selfishness or you're seeing your parents make decisions that are hurting you or, or you're walking around school and somebody says something about you and you're wondering, man, how did things get so bad? Why is it like this? It's because of Satan and self. It's because Satan began tempting Adam and Eve, and they chose to trust him over trusting God. But the second question is this. 
Well, okay, so that happened back then. How does sin impact us now? I want you to write that down. That's question number two. How does sin <clears throat> impact us now? And the answer is this. Sin will cause you to hide. Sin will cause you to run. And sin will cause you to choose pride. I'll say those again. Sin will cause you to hide. Sin will cause you to run. And sin will cause you to show pride. Let's look at verse 8 again. Then the, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid. Never before had they hid from the Lord. They had a perfect relationship with God and a perfect relationship with each other. But all of a sudden they are hiding. Students, if there is something you're participating in right now that you're hiding from others, that you're hiding from your parents, that you're hiding from your youth pastors or your teachers, that you're hiding from your friends who love Jesus, chances are it's sin. If there's things in your heart, thoughts in your mind, actions you're participating in that you don't want anyone else to know about, that you want to hide from others, that's a clear indicator of sin. You see, sin, it, it promised life, but all of a sudden they're hiding and they're running from God. In other words, students, I want you to write this down. Sin progresses, sin progresses because of my proximity to it and my participation in it. Sin progresses because of my proximity to it and my participation in it. Here's what I mean by that. Sin continues to wreak havoc and bring about all kinds of destruction in our lives and in the world. Because first and foremost, you guys are in proximity. We're in proximity to it. Meaning our bodies are broken even if we didn't choose those things. We think thoughts and have feelings that aren't aligned to God because our bodies are broken. Because our minds are broken. That some of you have had decisions made for you by people in authority over you where their sin has spilled over into your lives. Friends have said things about you. Rumors have been spread. Other people's sin, other people's bad decisions, other people's selfishness has poured into your life. And some of you are going, yes, amen, that's me. It feels like my entire life I am carrying around other people's bad decisions and baggage. And so you know what it's like to be in proximity to sin. But students, let us not forget that sin is not just out there, but it's also in here. In other words, it's not just that we are close to sin, it's that you and I participate in it. That you and I continue to choose ourselves over God and over others. We continue to believe the lie that sin will give us what we ultimately want. Let me talk for a second about being in proximity to sin. My, uh, my oldest daughter, Brinley, when she was born, we took her home from the hospital and everything seemed great. Until 10 days later, we noticed she wasn't breathing right and so we took her to her doctors. 
on a Saturday morning. I remember as the doctors and as my wife were checking on Brinley, I was in the waiting room of our pediatrician with Charlie. And, and all I can remember is there was this giant fish tank in the middle with all these fish swimming around. And I was just so terrified because Charlie, who was, uh, I guess, like two, two and a half at this time, he would run up to the fish tank and be like, bah! and like smack it, right? And I'm just thinking, man, we're going to murder Nemo right now. Like we're going to kill the Nemos in this tank. And so I'm just trying to keep Charlie from knocking over the fish tank. When all of a sudden the doctor runs out and says, Eric, you need to come in here right now. And as soon as I ran in the room, I could hear the sirens getting closer and closer. And I saw Brinley with a breathing mask over her face and, and a, a pulse oxygen reader over her finger that indicated she was breathing in the low 60s. Most of us breathe in the high 90s. She's in the low 60s. She's not getting enough oxygen. They strap my wife and Sarah, or my wife and Brinley to the gurney. They take her to the hospital and they run some tests and find out that she had contracted RSV, which is respiratory septal virus. It's a common virus that kids experience, especially kind of in the late winter, springtime. And the doctors told us, this is scary. You need to be praying, but she's going to get out of here in a few days. One day turned to two days, turned to four days, turned to six days, turned to eight days, and 12 days later, we're still at the hospital with Brindley. All the while, they're trying to figure out what's going on, and so they run more and more tests. What they discover is that Brindley was born with a congenital heart defect. She had a heart disease that they didn't pick up. I'll never forget when the, the cardiologist pulled us out of the room and said, I need to tell you something. Your daughter, Brindley... She has tetralogy of Fallot, which is a heart disease, and soon she is going to need open heart surgery. And as a dad, I remember thinking and feeling so many emotions. I didn't know anybody else who had a kid who had a heart disease like this. And, and my wife and I went into a room and we just started praying. We got out of the hospital eventually and we started to go to appointments that looked a lot like this. Brindley was hooked up and they were monitoring her heart. At about seven months old, we can go to the next picture, we handed Brindley over to a team of surgeons who were going to stop her heart from beating, open her chest, and operate on her little heart that was no bigger than her fist at that time. And at this moment, I took this photo. We had just handed our baby girl over to this team. They walked behind those red doors, and my wife and I held hands so tight, and we went in the elevator, and we just cried. And we didn't say a word, but we were both thinking the exact same thing. What if we never see her again? The hours felt like days, but they eventually called us and said, the surgery was a success. She'll never need another one again. And, and I'll show you this next photo. This is Brinley as she's in her day five of recovery with that awesome heart warrior scar. Let's go to the next picture. I think we have another one. This is her once we got home. And they kept telling us she'll never need surgery again. And then she was almost two years old and we went for a normal checkup. And they called us a few hours after and said, I'm so sorry, but she's going to need open heart surgery again. 
And so we prepared to take her to the hospital, and once again, we took a similar picture as they were preparing Brinley for surgery, and we handed her over to this team, and my wife and I felt all the same emotions, all the same fears, all the same worries. And thankfully, that surgery was a total success. We can go to the next photo. This is one of my favorite photos of Brinley because she is like so high on morphine right now. I mean, she is so high and she's just like, these are my girls. You know what I mean? Like this is her squad. We can go to the, I think we have one more photo. This is Brinley once we got her back home with her scar again. You see, these kind of things happen all the time and maybe some of you have, a, have a, a diagnosed disease. Maybe some of you have experienced things like this. Why do these kinds of things happen? Why, why did Brinley go through all this? Because we live in a broken world. Because she's in proximity to it. It's not like she made any decisions in that moment to contract heart disease, but she, by her very nature of being a human living in a broken world, she is in proximity to sin. It spills over into all of our lives, and it grieves God's heart. But it's not just that we're close to sin, it's that we participate in it as well. I was speaking here at Hume Lake a number of years ago, and I remember after one of my messages, I was talking about forgiving, forgiving people. And this young man came up to me and he said, I'm really struggling with this. Because he said, a few months ago, my dad just randomly packed up all of his stuff and left. And he, he, he left, he's gone, he's out of the house. He hasn't texted us. He hasn't called us. He hasn't told us what his plans are. I don't know what's going on. I miss him. And then he said, but right before I came up to camp, I saw he posted on Facebook. And this is what he wrote on Facebook. I'm leaving the state. I'm starting a new life. If I told you this personally, if I called you or reached out to you personally, it's because you matter to me. But if you're just reading this on Facebook, it's because I don't care about you. And this kid is sitting before me and he's going, I'm struggling to figure out how to forgive my dad who doesn't want anything to do with me. You see, that dad's participation in selfishness and sin is very real. I want to ask you to think about this for a minute. In what ways have you participated in sin? In what ways have you chosen selfishness or pride or arrogance? In what ways have you chosen lust? As we dive back into our Exodus story, what we discovered as we saw in the video is that God is calling Moses to free the Israelites. In Exodus chapter 3, God specifically says to Moses to bring his people out of Egypt. God is on a rescue mission and he's assigned Moses with that job. In Exodus chapter 4, God powerfully reveals himself to Moses and says, you're about to go toe-to-toe with the most powerful person in the known world at that time, and you have my support behind you. 
In Exodus chapter 5, Moses and Aaron, they tell Pharaoh that God wants his people to be free, and Pharaoh responds by adding more work onto their plate and cutting short their supplies and their rations. Why does Pharaoh respond this way? It's revealed in Exodus chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival. They may worship me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Pharaoh, Pharaoh is prideful. Pharaoh, in other words, I want to define pride this way, and I want you to write this down. Pride is this. Pride is when you and I believe we know it all, and we are the center of it all. Pride is saying, I know it all, and I am the center of it all. Pharaoh says, man, I know everything, and I don't know your God, so he's not real. And since I'm the center of the universe, and my desires are most important, I am not going to obey or submit to your God. And Pharaoh chooses pride. In other words, Pharaoh chose to worship himself over God. I want to ask you this question. Is the thing you're worshiping right now worthy of your worship? Some of you might be worshiping soccer. Some of you might be worshiping a sport. Some of you might be worshiping your grades. Some of you might be worshiping perfectionism. Some of you might be worshiping that others would see you as having it all together. Some of you may be worshiping getting perfect grades. Anything that you choose to worship apart from God will always lead to your destruction. Perfectionism will not bring you life. Being the very best on the soccer field can be awesome and you can use it to worship God, but if it becomes the object of your worship, of your obsession, it will destroy you. You see, pride, thinking I know it all, I'm the center of it all, well, it really kind of creates a prison. To help me with this, I need a few guys real quick. Can you come up here real quick? And can you four right here, you four dudes, come up here real quick. Hurry, guys, put your notes down. Good job taking notes, by the way, in the front row. Give it up for these guys. Give it up for these guys. Come on up here real quick, guys. Come here. All right, what's your name? Blake. Blake. This is Blake. Can everyone say hi, Blake? All right, so Blake is going to represent our God character, okay? Greg's going to be our God character. So here's God. Uh, let's see, and what's your name? Wyatt, okay, Wyatt's gonna represent us, okay, Wyatt's gonna represent us, and then you three guys, okay, here's what I need you to do. I need you guys to form like a wall. I need you to hold hands with each other, and I need you to form a wall around Wyatt, right? That's your name, right, Wyatt? Yes. Okay, so form a wall around him and connect your arms. Here we go, here we go, okay. Now, God desires that we would be close to him, that we would have a relationship with him. But anytime we worship something that is not God, or anytime we choose to let pride run our lives, remember pride is believing I know it all and I'm the center of it all, what happens is a prison forms around us. In other words, pride is a prison. 
And what happens here is here's what I want you guys to do. Wyatt, I want you to try to get over here to him, and I want you guys to get in his way, okay? I want you guys to get in his way. Ready, set, go. You see what's happening here? This is awesome. I love this. We're wrestling on stage. It's so cool. All right, stop right there. Stop right there. Now, Wyatt, Wyatt may have wanted to get to God, but the problem is his pride created this prison around him. And in the same way, Pharaoh, maybe some of you read that story and go, man, after all these things are happening, why would Pharaoh continue to make the same decision over and over? It's because a pride, a prison of pride had been forming around his heart for so long. He believed that he knew it all and he was the center of it all. And so he couldn't imagine worshiping God. And that's what sin will do to you. Can you guys give these guys a round of applause? You guys can have a seat. You see, students, sin, I want you to write this down, sin will take you farther than you wanted to go. It'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And it will cost you more than you're willing to pay. I'm going to say that again. Sin will take you farther than you wanted to go. It will cost you more than you were willing to pay. Sorry, sin will take you farther than you wanted to go. It'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And it will cost you more than you were willing to pay. I'm going to say it one last time. Sin will take you farther than you wanted to go. It will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And it will cost you more than you were ever willing to pay. And sin must be dealt with. God is holy. There's no room for sin in his presence. And I'm going to say something here, but wait till the second part. Here's the first part. God hates sin. I want you to write this down. God hates sin. But leave space because I want you to also write this. Because sin hurts you. God hates sin because sin hurts you. And so God chooses to respond to our sin with justice. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, it says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him, talking about actually Jesus, there's a prophecy here, has laid on him the iniquity, the sinfulness, the brokenness of us all. Fast forward to Paul, the Apostle Paul's words in Romans 3, 23. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's nobody in this room, there's nobody listening to this later who is free from sin. We are in proximity to it and we participate in it. Each one of us. The question is, what ultimately will God do? 
He can't be in the presence of sin. And so apart from God and him showing any kind of mercy and grace, the reality is he created us, we chose to rebel, and there is no hope for us. But that is not the end of the story. Our holy God justly deals with our sin in a way that also reveals his incredible love for us. Tonight, we are going to see just how far God went to deal with our sin and to show us his great love for us. But before we get there, I need you and I to spend some time today doing a little bit of an inventory, thinking about our lives. In fact, I want you to take some time to think about how you're living in proximity to sin. Maybe you need to share some ways that other people's sin is getting into your life. But I want you to also spend some time really thinking about how are you participating in sin? And then tonight we'll see how God in his great love will respond to us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these students again. I thank you for another opportunity to open your word and to see that, God, you are a truth teller, that you're honest with us about our sin and the ways that it brings about more death and destruction. And that like we talked about last night, we know that your holiness drives you towards us. But we got to be honest today that our sin actually drives us away from you. So Lord, would you help each one of us to think today deeply about the ways that our proximity to sin and our participation in sin has driven us away from you. And would you ready our hearts and prepare us to hear about what you did for us as we explore that tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.